0: I mean, who's calling a spam number? Do you get a lot of spam calls? Yes, I do.
1: Yeah, I get at least two to three a day. That sucks. I mean, I uh, don't get as many as that, but I I get a lot. The thing is, normally I'm on Do Not Disturb when they call because I have a New York number, so they always call like around 9 a.m. New York time. And so I just wake up and I see a missed call. And then I know... If it's a New York number, it's almost certainly spam because they try and fake their number.
0: Yeah, same thing. I mean, I have an 818 number, and whenever I see uh, an 818 number, I figure it's almost always spam. Yeah. What I love is uh, when it's obvious that it's spam. Like, for instance, on the caller ID, you see like a 1 and then a uh, a 1 in parentheses, and then... Uh, pretty much a number from your area code <laughs> one one huh so it's like yeah so i mean the formatting doesn't even match what you would see on a legitimate call <laughs> so that's when you know for sure it's like okay it's somebody from uh Windows support saying that they found a virus on your machine or something along those lines i hope this is fixed within the next couple years
1: i really think you should not be able to uh, you should not be able to forge numbers with the caller id unless you actually own the number
0: yeah i mean i i agree with that or i mean also i wish there was a better form of blocking where um if there's a high degree of confidence where uh if the person doing the outbound call is doing a bunch of spam calls you know that uh there's at least some kind of opt-in for blocking those kind of numbers like if they've called a whole
1: bunch of people or something
0: If they're calling a whole bunch of people and uh, it gets reported, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a high amount of uh, spam reporting. Do do
1: people actually do the spam reporting?
0: Well, I'm not just talking about, like, you know, reporting to the FTC. Uh, There's lots of websites online because what I end up doing is... uh, after a number calls me, a lot of the time I Google the number and you see it on websites that uh, pretty much list the number where the person's saying like, oh, yeah, this is somebody trying to uh, scam you.
1: But the problem is that like a lot of times they're just taking over like regular people's numbers. that, And so you're you, you could be blocking someone that didn't do anything wrong other than have their number stolen.
0: Yeah, I mean, that too. What you're looking at here is a high degree of probability. I mean, it's uh, if you call back the person and it's a person, you know, it's obviously a person who's completely uh, disoriented as to why somebody's calling you. Then, yeah, OK. And
1: I, I know that someone I know that they've used like my number because I've had confused people calling me before. <laughs> oh, that sucks.
0: I hope the FTC does something and I hope there is something better within iOS 13. So, um, speaking of uh, phone OSs and all and whatnot, um, have you actually got to see the whole uh, the functionality that the Pixel has with uh, screening calls? Have you seen that in person? No, I haven't. You want to go over it? Um, well, uh, my understanding is that when on the uh, new Pixel phones, there's functionality where um, there's an auto-screener, where it's pretty much like a, a robot saying state your name or state why you're calling, and uh, you'll end up receiving a notification with uh, pretty much the uh, the person speaking. And if it's something like a robocall, you'll pretty much just see the robocall text, and you'll be able to either pick up the call or send it
1: to uh, voicemail. So it pretends to answer, essentially? Essentially, yes. Yeah, that could be kind of useful, I suppose. Even though I don't really want to see random text from spam either yeah but i mean it's
0: at least a um a spam call that's transcribed and also the other benefit of it is that it's not interrupting pretty much anything that you're doing on the phone like right now in ios if you're playing a game and somebody calls you it kicks you out of your game in order to uh you know in order to show that there's a call coming in so, I mean, it's kind of funny that we actually had something to talk about just now due to me being interrupted.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, somewhat related is like push notification spam, which is also incredibly irritating, especially if it's an app that you actually want the normal notifications from. An example here would be like, Dear Facebook, please do not send me anniversary messages for in Messenger. I don't care. I only want to be communicated with by actual people. If they are not an actual person sending me a message, do not send me a notification. It is super irritating. Oh,
0: I'm uh, I'm kind of surprised you even have Facebook on your phone still.
1: No, it's not Facebook. It's Facebook Messenger. I block the notifications Ooh. from Facebook. It's only the Messenger app that I allow notifications from. And because like I have people that actually want to contact me that way my mm. like my aunt and my cousin and stuff like i oh, will usually send me messages through facebook messenger and i want to be able to get those but the the little anniversary notifications are super irritating and i, I went into the preferences in facebook and turned off like anniversary notifications but messenger doesn't respect it <laughs>
0: and in the case of facebook i'm almost certain that uh the rationale behind that is not uh accidental but rather malicious yeah they want me to be engaged with their system again yeah they're trying to increase engagement yeah uh see unfortunately i'm in i am still in the position where uh i have friends of mine tagging me on stuff and uh, it asks, do you wish to post this on your wall? And the answer is almost
1: universally no. <laughs> I, uh, I solve that problem by not having friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, the nerd solution to everything. Just don't have <laughs> friends.
1: Welcome to ALH. We're a little late this time. Now, on to follow-up. So the, the major follow-up that we have... Is after our fun Ubiquity discussion last time, uh, Mark went and bought a whole bunch of Ubiquity stuff. What did you buy, Mark?
0: Okay, yeah. So uh, first, I bought a Unify security gateway, and then I bought two Unify AC HD access points, and uh, then finally, I bought uh, two of the Unify switches. I got the 8 ports,
1: 60-watt switches. I ended up getting two of them. Cool. So those are the ones that have the four power-over Ethernet ports, right? Yes, that's correct.
0: So uh, here was pretty much my rationale, is that uh, my house has a gigabit Internet now. And uh, as part of the upgrade process, first thing I needed to get was a, a new cable modem and so i went ahead and i went to the wire cutter and got their uh, recommended upgrade pick then after that i was looking at that thinking well i want to make sure that uh, pretty much everything is in order like uh, before i ended up having a uh, apple time capsule and an airport express upstairs and i was running into issues with the internet being slow And uh, on top of that, I was also running into issues with me not being able to play Xbox online. Hmm. I was unable to play Xbox even though I was uh, opening all of the necessary ports in order to do that. It was kind of curious that uh, I ended up uh, going into the Xbox and it showed my uh, NAT type as being open, but I'm still not able to join any games on Forza Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, this is this is really annoying and I'm having issues with Internet and I'm having issues with uh, pretty much Wi-Fi connectivity. Why not give this a shot? And uh, one of the things that sold me on Ubiquity is the fact that instead of it being a mesh network, it's access points. So it's pretty much assuming that uh, the access point ends up hooking up into ethernet, which is pretty much exactly what I want since the house is wired for ethernet. Right. And uh, what got me to pretty much drop the coin on the AC HD access points is the fact that they're four by four MIMO, which is uh, what the newer iPhones support.
1: Well, we'll note here that the, the other contenders here were the uh, AC light and the AC pro and you get about a doubling in cost for <laughs> each increment here so the the ac lights are generally like around 75 each and the pros are basically double that and the hds are basically double that
0: yeah the uh the cheap the 80 ones have uh, are two by two and then the 150 ones are three by three and these are four by four so i mean what i was hoping for here is okay that uh, pretty much max out uh, the capability of the phone and what it's able to do with internet by having these access points. There's also the benefit that uh, <laughs> I think the um, the top number of connections that the ACHD can do is something like
1: 500. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I bought this and I'm looking at the specs and I realized that, is this something like what a Panera would end up using?
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of like uh, restaurants that advertise that they have free Wi-Fi. You have a decent number of people there with a decent number of devices. And it's like, okay, is this actually the quality of uh, device that they would end
1: up using? I I just think it's interesting that you chose Panera there instead of like Starbucks or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I guess what it is is that uh, how many people are sitting in a Starbucks compared to how many people are sitting in a Panera.
1: Right, but I think people in a Starbucks are more likely to be using the Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah, <laughs> since that's where uh, some people do their actual work there. Yeah. Some people live in Starbucks. So, I mean, uh, yeah, first off, I wanted to make sure that my Xbox was working. Second, I wanted to make sure that uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi was pretty much the maximum that my uh, phone could utilize. Mm-hmm. Then, after setting it up, setting up these um, ACHD access points... I noticed there isn't really a power bar to it. Rather, there is um, two Ethernet ports on there, and you're only supposed to use one, and it's supposed to the one is supposed to double as uh, pretty much the power and the data. And there's a plug, which is pretty much a converter, for devices that don't support power over Ethernet. You have your data in into the power plug, and then you have the power plug, so it's pretty much uh, a power plug that supplements the uh, Ethernet going into the um, the access point with power. And I'm like, well, okay, that's interesting, right? So then I'm reading
1: up on this, and I realize that oh, it's possible to just have one one cable, right? This is the big advantage of power over Ethernet is you only need to run one cable over to the access point, which makes wiring. Considerably easier, I think. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, that's really
0: interesting and nice. Downstairs, I still didn't have enough Ethernet ports for everything that I needed to do. So what I was doing was uh, prior, I was running uh, Ethernet from my security gateway to my time capsule. And I was using the time capsule in bridge mode. Which pretty much made it into one big dumb switch. Right. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I don't really want this uh, time capsule's old hardware. I don't really want it to be the centerpiece to uh, internet in my house. So I should go out and get a switch.
1: Yep. a uh, An Ethernet switch, not a Nintendo switch. No, no. My networking's not working. Let's give money to Nintendo. Right. <laughs>
0: So that's where the whole thing about getting the a port switch came into play. And it's like, okay, I already have Ubiquiti hardware that I just purchased. Why not get a Ubiquiti switch? And oh, look, it has power over Ethernet, so that uh, I'm not going to end up needing to have this uh, really bulky power cable going to my access point. After all is said and done, I ended up spending like a grand in
1: hardware. <laughs> it's, it's really easy to go overboard. Uh, I, I, I did something similar I think I might have mentioned it on the last podcast but uh, in addition to the crazy 10 gigabit switch I, I um, also recently got uh, the ACHD one of them not two uh, to replace my old AC pro that has been EOL'd and then I also got a cloud key and a uh, USG to replace my uh, my edge router light so everything can be unified and i'm not mixing systems
0: yeah i didn't do anything with cloud key yet although my uh
1: my network is relatively simple so you didn't get the hardware for it you're just using a, a laptop to configure or something
0: yeah i'm just using the laptop to configure right now okay
1: well at least it worked with your laptop
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I am. I mean, after your story, I didn't realize until after that. Oh, that it's an actual piece of hardware. I was thinking that there was some kind of subscription. No. So when yeah, so when I was uh, signing up for it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do whatever subscription. Mm -hmm. And then I and then I guess after I
1: realized, oh, it's a piece of hardware. Oops. It basically is a miniature computer that its sole function is to to manage your network. Uh, How much do they run? A hundred bucks. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah.
0: So I'll probably sport for it at some point and then just migrate. Right. And and deal with the same kind of failures and problems that you had.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thus is the way of the network.
0: But I mean, really for me, it's not going to be that bad. The only thing that I really did that was special was just open up ports and set up port forwarding to the Xbox. How, how is all of this fun new hardware
1: affected your local network?
0: Uh well so far I mean everything seems pretty snappy for one thing and uh two I'm able to play Xbox again yeah online and uh one of the things I really love about this is that uh for instance in the case of the Xbox you can actually just check a check mark to make sure that a piece of hardware always gets the same IP address right and I mean I love that I love that uh, I can configure that within the router itself rather than forcing the uh, actual xbox or other piece
1: of machinery in order to do that it's also kind of fun to watch all of the traffic that goes over which devices and which and to which devices and everything
0: yeah and i mean i love seeing which uh, since i have two access points mm-hmm. i like seeing which devices connect to which access points
1: and making sure that the channels don't overlap with the network uh in the area um and they, they have like an automatic uh, detection of which is the least congested channel and you can have them do like a, a, a longer scan that gives like more detailed information and everything like that mm-hmm. it's pretty neat too uh one of the things i found really interesting
0: with uh, a lot of wi-fi devices is that they're very sticky like um for instance when i restarted my upstairs router everything ended up switching to the downstairs access point and uh, even after the upstairs access point was done rebooting, all of these devices would stay
1: on the downstairs access point for a long time. Yeah, I think that normally, unless they, they consider themselves to have significantly better connection to the other device, they won't switch. Um, because there can be a little bit of a hiccup when the switch actually occurs. What was
0: also fun was the migration process. <laughs> Is that... Uh, as part of the migration process, I kept my old Airport Express running, mm-hmm. and then going through to all of the different devices I have and uh, making sure that the Wi-Fi goes to that instead of,
1: uh, or it goes to the new network instead of the did old you, network. Did you create a, like a new SSID for your new network? Uh, yeah, I did. Oh,
0: okay. I uh, I called it Darmok. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and is your old one Gerard? <laughs> No, no, no. The old one was just like seven cycle network. Uh is oh okay. So are you going to do like your uh, your uh two point six and your five gigahertz? Darmac and Gerard Jalad Jalad sorry. Jalad. Uh, no. What I was thinking of doing was
0: I was thinking of making the um the guest network be Darmac and then the uh, actual non guest network Tanagra. Okay. But I noticed that I ended up having some trouble with uh, printing from the guest network. So I went ahead and just made it where it was just pretty much all permissive right now. I see. And eventually what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and lock it up more Mm -hmm. as uh, time goes on. Not that it's really that necessary from, uh, we don't have a lot of unknown people coming here who need our guest Wi-Fi.
1: One thing I would recommend is that if you're using both, the 2.6 and the 5 gigahertz that you do give them separate uh ssids oh there are some devices particularly some iot things they get very confused by five gigahertz networks and so if you have both on there they don't sometimes they don't work right and so i'd, I'd recommend like keeping the the five gigahertz network um maybe for regular devices that connect and instead of uh and having sort of like the infrastructure if you have any iot echoes and whatnot in the, the 2.6 or whatever gigahertz. so when you're saying like uh echoes you mean like uh, amazon i'm oh, sorry yeah, i guess you don't have any of those uh i guess in your case it would be home pod
0: yeah but i mean the home pod is uh apple's pretty decent with the networking on that front and we haven't that's, run
1: into any problems so that's far true. if you if you ever go the iot route i would suggest okay things
0: well, I mean, I do have, uh, I do have a whole bunch of hue bulbs, but, mm-hmm. uh, I do the connector to the hue bulbs isn't, uh, Fi. it's, uh, it uses, I think Zigbee mm-hmm. and then, uh, the actual adapter plugs directly into ethernet. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I don't have much of an issue with that. Another thing I have is, um, I have the, uh, Kivo, right. which, uh, yeah. And in the case of the Kivo, I have Kivo Plus, and the adapter for that also runs into uh, Ethernet. So <laughs> I don't have a lot of devices that end up being IoT. There's a there's a little hub device for the Kivo? Yes, there is. Oh, that's weird. The uh, hub device for the Kivo, the Kivo Plus, is so that you can lock and unlock your door from anywhere.
1: Wait, is yeah. the Kivo Plus like a newer thing? Did you used to have one of the older Kivos?
0: Uh, the Kivo Plus has been... I had a Kivo 1, and uh, I got the Plus with the Kivo 1. So, oh. I mean, it's always it's always been a thing. Is it like a separate device than the Kivo itself? It is a separate device. So, it's a separate device that you're supposed to have within... Uh, I mean, do you purchase it separately? You purchase it separately. Okay, interesting. Although, uh, I did notice that uh, the wire cutter no longer recommends Kivo as its top, uh, top recommendation. Yeah, it's something...
1: Like reliability or something?
0: Well, they had something else. Uh, they had something else that
1: is a keypad on it now. I, I actually intentionally didn't get one with a keypad because I didn't want people just standing there trying codes. Not that it would really matter too much because I also have a camera. I have the Nest Hello, I think it is, uh, with a doorbell that Nest has monitoring that area. And I, I know that that is also not the recommendation, but I wanted something that was low latency, mm-hmm. and the uh, well, the Ring is definitely not low latency. Like I know that they have issues with that, and then there it's and then I think there's also the SkyBell and the SkyBell. I think is a little bit better about that. Uh, but we yeah. already had Nest cameras, and I wanted it to be sort of consistent with other stuff. So I ended up getting the, the nest one. Honestly,
0: uh, I wouldn't mind a keypad as long as they allowed six digit codes instead of four digit codes or some sort of alarm. If you fail a certain number of times, <laughs> uh, have it integrate with your ring. So uh, the only real thing that I would consider like IOT that I had to configure was uh, the bed. I had to change <laughs> the Wi-Fi network on my bed. This is uh, the 21st century when your bed has an internet connection.
1: So I actually am thinking that I might have to change my subnet mask to two octets instead of three because I might run out of IPs. I might have more than 255 devices uh, coming up sometime in the not so distant future. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens when each of your light bulbs has its own IP. You're the reason IPv6 exists. Uh, Nat takes care of it. I have, I have a lot of devices.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that was another thing that was fun, was uh, going on the Ubiquiti router and
1: seeing that your Apple Watch has an IP address. I mean, if, if you go in there and you don't realize just how many things are connected to the internet in your home and until you go and look at that long list of Mac addresses and go, what is that? And, uh, there are still some things that I hadn't been able to identify yet. Oh, I do like that you, you, that like within the system. And I, I know that you can on the edge light. I assume that you also can on the, um, the USG is once you figure out what it is, you can label it, uh, what, uh, give it a device name. Uh, so that helps out a lot.
0: Oh yeah. I have definitely done that. Another thing I like is a lot of the things already have, uh, they already broadcast what they are. Right. Like for instance, I was able to see that, oh, this is an Apple device.
1: Okay. Some devices are nicer about that than others.
0: But then other things I see, it shows, manuf- it shows like manufacturer is Hanhai. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, what is
1: this? Yeah, I, I did some poking when I did a lot of my setup uh, in order to f- figure out like, okay, I think it's this. Let me disconnect it and find out. Also, I realized I
0: was doing something really dumb the whole time, and uh, my printer had a Wi-Fi
1: network. Wait, its own network? Not its yes. own? Okay. Yes.
0: I have a, I have a, a color laser jet printer, and uh, apparently one of the things you can do is set up a Wi-Fi network where if you connect to it, you can use it as internet and print to it.
1: Is is your printer connected via Ethernet then, or does it just no. like doing? It's just doing like connection sharing kind of thing. No, it, it does connection sharing.
0: That's that's really weird. So I mean, at least it was password protected. But I thought, oh my god, if it weren't password protected, anybody would have access to my network and be able to print things. I'm just imagining one night, you know, having a whole bunch of black sheets being printed out from my printer. But uh, yeah, in the process of uh, changing the printer Wi-Fi, I uh,
1: disabled that. Yeah, that's probably wise. Uh, did you have any like difficulty when you were setting up your equipment or anything? Uh, yeah, I I did. In the
0: case of the um, the router, it took a couple of reboots in order for it to properly see the cable modem and have a connection. I've heard that
1: that's pretty normal. Interesting. I wonder if that's on the cable modem side, actually.
0: Um, yeah, I mean that was uh, one of the things that the uh, people over at the ISP had warned about. Mm-hmm. Was that sometimes, uh, sometimes when you do that and you're swapping and something new, that you need to restart both devices.
1: Yeah, and sometimes there's even like a, a reset signal that needs to be sent from the provider itself for some kinds of things. Like um, I think that's necessary sometimes with the FiOS. Okay.
0: Yeah. I've heard that too. I mean, thankfully I didn't have to do that. And just basically a simple restart would make it work. Like, uh, with this whole setup thing, I kind of had to work from the cable modem back mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I have my, uh, iMac plugged into the cable modem directly to make sure that the cable modems working and the er- internet, mm-hmm. internet connections working. Mm-hmm. Then I had to plug in the gateway and then plug, uh, the gateway into the modem and then the iMac into the gateway mm-hmm. and make sure that the internet connection is working on the gateway. And then eventually work back from that where, uh, I plug uh, before I got the, uh, a port switches, I plugged the, uh, time capsule into the router and plugged the computer into the time capsule <laughs> and, uh, made sure that worked. So, I mean, it's this long, it's kind of like, um, what's the analogy for software where software is like building a giant skyscraper where it's one stack on top of another. Well, this is kind of like a hardware stack where you're making sure one thing works before adding something else Mm -hmm. and then making sure that works and then adding something else and making sure that works. And I had to do that for about, what was it? Six or seven different devices. It took a
1: good three or four hours to do everything. Well, that's, that's not too bad. Uh when I was setting up the EdgeRouter Lite it was a bit more complicated than that because it wasn't set up to even do like a DHCP server or anything by default. You had to go and and either manually change a whole bunch of stuff or what I did was find a uh find a setting online that I could download and upload to my m- to my router. So it would actually do the thing that I wanted it to do.
0: Now, uh, in the case of the edge routers, my understanding is that you do a whole lot more via SSH. Yes. For configuration. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with, uh, with this security gateway, you are able to go into uh, SSH and uh, SFTP and make changes and reset and do updates. But I'm trying to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, that's best. Like, uh, as an example, I was uh, for getting the Xbox to work. The options I had were either to do a bunch of port forwards or to enable uh, universal plug and play. And uh, my understanding was looking up how to enable universal plug and play. It involved using an FTP client and SFTPing into the router and uh, uploading some kind of configuration file. And I'm looking at that thinking, you know what? No, I don't think I'm ready for that.
1: <laughs> That's what I ended up doing to enable universal plug and play on mine. Uh, so,
0: um, did you do universal plug and play specifically for Xbox, or
1: I did it because I I did it because I had several devices, uh, yeah, mostly consoles that made it easier. And I think that like I think a lot of like PC games also want it. Uh, which is also part of why I did it. Well, I mean, can uh, you just get away with port forwarding? Yeah, you could if you wanted to go and port forward each individual one. Right, yeah. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted it just to be taken care of.
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, my big fear, I think the only reason I would actually start using Universal Plug and Play at some point is if there are two consoles that ended up needing the same port. Ah. Then I might actually consider doing that, but until then, I'm just going to deal with port forwarding, since it okay. seems to be it, it seems to be the safer route. Since I mean, of course, you end up reading about all kinds of potential security issues, mm-hmm. like uh, what if your computer gets a worm and that worm can uh, end up opening ports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is there anything else for? Let's see, for the ubiquity stuff. No, I mean I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with it so far. I'm ha- I'm happy enough where I would uh, I would be on one of their commercials.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please sponsor ALH. Even if even if you just include uh, me, we we have we've already got I've already gotten you a thousand dollars worth of uh, sales. I guess we can do since we have um, talked about GitHub in the past. Uh, we could do a quick thing on. Uh, GitHub recently announced that they are offering free private repository for repositories for up to three collaborators. So now you don't even have to pay for it. Did you end up ever getting a paid account?
0: No, no, I haven't done anything with GitHub yet. So one great win for you. I know, right? And I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not even sure how many collaborator collaborators we'd end up having anyway.
1: I was just a three or three or four people in your company right now.
0: Well, we have uh, three people full time, and then one guy who is working part time. But but so it would basically be me and the part time guy who would be doing any kind of GitHub stuff.
1: Okay, so you wouldn't even need the the full three collaborators for the project. You could yeah. save that five dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't switched uh, back to. non-paid account yet i should probably do that are you able to i would assume so you mean what happens to my repositories after it happens my private well
0: i mean it's kind of like with uh google that uh with google they have the whole apps for domains thing and uh once you switch to a paid account you can no longer switch back to a non-paid account
1: right but the difference there is you can also no longer get a regular free account right yeah, I think you're right about that too. Okay, that's that that makes sense because it's a, a little ratcheting effect there.
0: But okay. with GitHub,
1: what's if I really wanted to, I I could just stop paying, and then it, it, even if they wanted those repos to uh, have be be paid money to be private, I could switch them to another repo that is private and up to three collaborators so there's nothing they could could really do yeah
0: i really need to allocate some time in order to switch things over yeah you might want to do it with like a
1: smaller a smaller project first just to play with it
0: yeah that's what i'm thinking it's just the thing about it is when it comes to development is that uh you have to always make the choice between are you going to work on things that are going to directly make you money or are you going to work on things that are going to potentially make your life easier or better? And I mean, with GitHub, it's not something that's going to directly end up making me money. It is something that is potentially going to make my life as a developer easier. Which could in turn make you more money. Yeah. But, uh, it feels kind of like, uh, isn't there an XKCD about spending a whole, whole bunch of time in order to get uh, moderate gains in uh, well, productivity? Well, I think
1: that he made a chart basically saying this is how frequent the task is, this is how much time you save per instance of the task, and therefore this is the maximum amount of time you should spend trying to automate it. And it was like a, a graph for different values and whatnot. Yeah. So I think that. The reason that they did this is probably trying, Microsoft trying to show that they're not going to sort of uh, abandon and ratchet up, ratchet up the price on the GitHub community. It's sort of like a, a showing of good faith because a lot of people are very concerned that now that Microsoft owns it, that they would try and get like further monetization from it or v- basically ruin it, <laughs> uh, things like that. So, what do you think Microsoft's rationalization for buying it is? I I'm actually not entirely sure. I think that this might actually be a part of their attempt to be friendlier with the open source community as in they know that a lot of the people in the open source community don't really like them and but they need those developers. So,
0: how do you think this ties into other things, like, say, for instance, the whole Edge switching to Chrome, Chromium rendering? Do you think that's also another show? Or do you think that's, uh, do you think that's them just saying, hey, these are developers we don't really need? Like, why reinvent the wheel? Or is it a
1: combination of the two? I think it's closer to the latter for that particular one. I-, I think that there weren't actually a lot of people that were still working on the rendering, um, Uh, engine and whatnot for edge and they saw that they didn't really have too much of a hope of really catching up anyway and there were additional wins with uh not having to try and convince web developers to deal with whatever sort of rendering bugs that they had specific to them probably yeah probably the biggest thing is uh they were probably seeing that Their particular browser was getting less and less targeted by developers. And so if they wanted their web pages to display correctly, the easiest thing for them to do was not to change their own engine, but to just adopt someone else's.
0: Yeah. I mean, another thing to consider is that when it comes to web standards, web standards keep changing. And, I mean, there's, there's always going to be new standards. There's always going to be new functionality. There's always going to be stuff like that within, you know, uh, web rendering engines. And uh, for them to continue, they would have to keep putting in engineering talent for implementing all sorts of different things, which uh, now if they switch over to this engine, it's going to be something that's basically available to them for free. Right. The other possibility, as well, is that um, if they start using the Chromium engine, they can potentially assign engineers to work on said open source project and help steer the direction of said project.
1: Yeah, that's also true.
0: I mean, not I'm not saying for like nefarious reasons or anything like that. What I'm saying is along the lines of uh, if Microsoft comes up with some kind of standard that ends up getting ratified, then it's in their priority to
1: assign developers to make sure there's an implementation of it. And so I think the last thing for this show is uh, Unity, which is an engine that a lot of game developers use in order to make their games, uh, has changed their license to disallow Unity running on a a cloud or remote server. Uh, Originally, there, there was a lot of fear here because um, this was basically caused by a a third party uh, tool called Spatial OS. The the purpose of Spatial OS was to provide like multiplayer, massively multiplayer capabilities into a game engine and a number of uh, indie games and possibly some other games as well uh, used the, were using this in order to help develop their game and unity revoked their partnership uh, license. And so special OS got angry about this and wrote up a press release and this caused people to be very afraid that the game that they were working on would never get released because of licensing issues. Um, and then unity went and later clarified anyone that already has their game in development uh, will not be affected by this. and but I, I can still see like, well, we've put all this, All these resources into learning this tool and now because of your licensing change we're not going to be this tool for future games and i can see people being very upset
0: so have you read the updates to the uh, story sense that uh, they said that they're epic and improbable have teamed up to announce a 25 million dollar fund to assist developers who are left in limbo by the new engine and servicing compatibilities
1: yeah, I, I saw a lot of um, posts on Twitter by Tim Sweeney, uh, mm-hmm. basically talking about how with Unreal, they tried very hard to make a licensing agreement that was compatible with people using like third-party software and running remote sessions and everything like that uh, to basically try and avoid any of these sorts of problems. And it read basically like a giant advertisement for the Unreal Engine. <laughs> uh, U- Unity tried to play this as like, well, Spatial OS is we allow if you're running your own server on uh, AWS or your own machine, that's fine to have Unity running in that instance. But what Spatial OS did, they consider their software running on top of unity on top of linux to be their own platform um i guess calling it os didn't help and so they're saying that spatial os is making money off of spatial os is making money directly off of the customers and unity without without i guess effectively giving unity their fair share They're claiming or something like that it seems sort of off to me
0: so my understanding is that unity's claim here is that uh, spatial OS by them having an instance running instance or instances of unity within the cloud on their own OS or not uh, not their own OS but uh, them running instances in the cloud constitutes a violation of their terms because they're
1: not receiving a fair share you're only able to run unity on uh approved platforms and one of the and they consider it to be a different platform if the third party is including a bunch of their own libraries in addition to unity and so they since they revoked spatial os's uh platform license they are no longer an approved platform so what
0: other platforms are
1: there that have licenses right now they have a number of platforms that are listed Uh, Autodesk, Cloud Moolah, Facebook, Google, Intel, Microsoft, Oculus, Otoy, Euphoria, something that I'm not sure what it is, Magic Leap, and Rococo are, I guess, their approved platforms. Oh, then they have Nintendo and Sony as strategic uh, partners. And so I guess, yeah, these are the systems on which Unity can run on, in addition to the platform partners' software. And I'm guessing each of these were negotiated with Unity for either Unity being sent some money by the partner, or they're so big that it would make it would be horrible if Unity were not on that platform. At, in, as a, an example, being the the Microsoft or the the Sony and Nintendo ones.
0: From what I understand here is that you said that uh, Spatial OS is pretty much a system that is used in order to do a multiplayer or massive multiplayer. And it's essentially a tie-in into unity and, uh, how spatial OS will make their money is pretty much running the servers and running the environment. Right. And and providing
1: the SDK to link into this system. So that your game will end
0: up using that. Right. And the problem here is that, uh, since they're kind of looking at from unity's perspective, they're looking at them as a potential partner or a potential platform. However, there isn't any kind of licensing for that platform. There, There isn't any kind of licensing agreement. So that ended up falling through and, um, any developers that were stuck trying to use spatial OS as their, um, multiplayer engine ended up getting put into the dark you know, ended up getting cut out. I kind of understand unity's position here and mm-hmm. that, uh, this is, you know, they have a game engine and it is up to them in order to determine pretty much who can, you know, who uses their game engine and also who ends uh, who can use their uh, game engine as an actual platform, which this, I actually, I'm inclined to agree that it is a platform because it is a platform in order to uh, have an actual multi, you know, uh, Massive multiplayer engine. So I see how it would tie into Unity. I guess the complaint here is that Unity was unclear. It was unclear, and they didn't really give developers who were using Spatial OS much of a recourse due to their uh,
1: disagreement. Right, and they, they claim that anyone that's already using Spatial OS is fine, and they won't be considered in violation. Uh, like mm-hmm. games that were already in development, it's only new customers of them that would ha- cause a problem. Um, that they, they clarified that later.
0: Okay, I mean honestly, this uh, this may be ignorant on my part, but uh, uh, it would make sense for Unity to just buy them outright, since after all, Unity is uh, a game engine, mm-hmm. and it would make sense for them to have this, since it would complement it would nicely complement their game engine. And it is something that they could potentially
1: charge for. Yeah, but I think that people are more bothered by the change in the EULA to begin with, uh, in that it used to be okay, or at least it could be interpreted that it was okay to run Unity on remote systems previously. Now, they Mm -hmm. claim in their response that Uh, You always had to partner with Unity, and they were just clarifying their EULA, but um, supposedly nobody actually saw it that way before.
0: You know, what I'm kind of curious about here is realistically how many games and how many developers are being affected here.
1: I got the impression that it was not a small number, actually. Really? Hmm. Yeah, particularly independent games and whatnot. I mean, since I'd heard of Unity before, but I'd never heard of Spatial OS. Yeah, neither had I, but then again, we're not game developers. Fair enough. And I know that a lot of game developers use a lot of third-party middleware tools in order to develop their games. It's just not feasible these days to do the whole thing yourself, or even with just one of the engines.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a reality of game development nowadays.
1: And I think... Generally, people a lot of the reason people used unity over like Unreal was that unity was effectively cheaper, um, mm-hmm. even though Unity now, or even though uh, Unreal has a free version now that's sort of like a, a revenue share similar to unity, um, I think it's, it's still it would be a higher percentage. I'm not 100 percent sure I'd have to look into it. but
0: Remember that uh, when it used to be like that? mm-hmm and they
1: just kind of went away entirely Carmack got distracted by rockets and then he got distracted by vr
0: well also being uh purchased by Zenimax, yeah which Zenimax just uses their engine for internal
1: things now right it still looks good but it's it's and it was never as popular as a third-party engine as uh the unreal i mean it really long time ago in the Doom days, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was. But um, Quake was sort of equal with uh, Unreal so far as engine use. And then any time after that, it was a, a, sort of a minority player in for, mm-hmm. for engine licensing. There was another thing, uh, a, a tweet by Twim, Tim Sweeney, that he, uh, he said, this crazy new EULA, uh, even ban's distribution of unity games through stores they don't authorize then provides a list of authorized services which doesn't include any stores so apparently they' you are not supposed to be able to distribute i mean this is probably just an oversight in the attorney that drafted the euLA, but based off of a, like a literal interpretation of what they wrote uh it you you can't actually Distribute your software in a store.
0: <laughs> I'm sure Tim had a lot of fun with that, yeah. considering
1: it's ultimately his competitor. The uh, the direct quote from the EULA is, you may not use a third party to directly or indirectly distribute or make available stream broadcast through simulation or otherwise any portion of the Unity software unless that third party is, is authorized by Unity to provide such services.
0: Well, wouldn't Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo be one of their partners in that respect. Yeah, but that's that's not a game store.
1: Well, but they have a game store. Right. I mean, they all have online game right, stores. Right. So those would be authorized places where you could get it. I don't think I list I don't think I saw Steam there. So consoles are covered just if you're a PC gamer, you're uh SOL unless unless hmm. you have your very own store. <laughs> i'm sure this is not what they actually meant and they're not going to go after anyone for putting stuff in the steam store i'm sure and this is <laughs> i'm sh- i'm sure this is relating to the similar things like the partner platforms and stuff like that again
0: see i mean i can understand on their end that it's just uh, like you said a lawyer oversight because i mean we're We're working with lawyers right now. And I mean, I understand (laughs) unless you have a lawyer that is actually working for you, whose entire job is pretty much knowing your operations, Mm -hmm. then yes, you are more likely to have a screw up within whatever kind of documents
1: you end up having. All right. So I think that's about it. Uh, Did you have anything else to say with terms of service? (laughs) No, I'm good right now. By the way, by listening to this podcast, you're legally obligated to send us five hundred thousand dollars or uh, get us five hundred thousand subscribers. So, thank you for listening to ALH. Uh, you can visit us at ALH.fm and look at all of the fun things that we talked about in text form. And you can follow us on Twitter, Aliens Land Here. Uh, and thank you for listening. We'll we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. Protesting. I've been
0: playing Pokemon Go. I I don't know why. Have you been gathering
1: Pokemon in the middle of the forest?
0: I have been gathering Pokemon in the middle of the forest. And uh, since um, when I bought Tanya the um, digital version of Pokemon oh. so that uh, she yeah. wouldn't have to swap out the cartridge. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, the um, actual physical copy came with the Pokeball. So I decided to just go ahead and get the Pokeball separate. I see. But uh, one of the nice things about the Pokeball, though, is that uh, it auto catches stuff for you without having to have Pokemon Go open. So in a lot of ways, uh, Pokemon Go, I'm trying to turn it slowly into progress quest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is this is your ultimate like desire with all video games, right? You want to you want to automate job simulator. You want to play the game of automating the video game. That's the game you want to play.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: <laughs> now what you need is like a game about automating video games. And <laughs> you play that and, and you're, then you try and automate that. So how can I write a general purpose game automator?
0: Your goal is to make games as non-interactive and unfun as possible. Yeah. Actually, is there a Progress Quest Mac port? No. <laughs> no. Mac port. So Progress Quest is a Windows program, therefore it runs on Windows. Oh, you can play it in the browser. There you go. Oh my oh my god.
1: New character. Oh no. You're doing this, aren't you?
0: It's <laughs> and what's even great is it looks like Windows XP. Oh, it's no. amazing. Wow, they changed it, where you have a whole bunch of characters. <laughs> So, race half orc, half man, half halfling, double hobbit, hob hobbit, low elf, dung elf, talking pony, nice gyro gnome, lesser dwarf, <laughs> crested dwarf, eel man, panda man, trans kobold enchanted motorcycle, Willow the Wisp, battlefinch, wow, and the one that's selected for me, double Wookie, nice, <laughs> scrailing. Demi Canadian, demi Canadian, <laughs> demi Canadian.
1: I think that one's my favorite. And
0: land squid. Uh, well, I mean, you gotta figure since the game is completely useless, you're not. It, it's a progress bar. It doesn't matter if you have so strength, and then you can pretty much roll stats till you have a roll that you like. <laughs> Ooh, seventy four. Okay sold I can't believe I'm doing this me either <laughs> but what I love about the progress Quest browser version is that the uh, the background is Windows XP but it's a really really bad JPEG <laughs> so you can tell you can tell it's just a JPEG of Windows XP Wow <laughs> oh this is unbelievable okay is this like an official
1: browser version or someone made one?
0: This is on ProgressQuest.com.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh, this is awful. I'm leaving this on. Yeah, I assume that you saw my, my lamenting about sucking at Smash Brothers Ultimate. <sighs> yeah, I did. I mean, that's the reality of growing old. Uh, so I, I'm not entirely clear on how much of my fault this is. I imagine it's quite a lot my fault
0: don't feel bad about sucking at smash because you have to figure there are tens or thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of kids who have three, four hours a day to muck around on smash brothers where <laughs> what we what we have a uh, three or four hours a week yeah. to pretty much
1: a uh, t- game. Though I have put a lot more hours into smash than most of their games I've played recently. I started watching some videos like on YouTube about the general smash tactics and whatnot. And it goes very deep. Oh, I believe it. And then there's like, and then there's like 70 some characters that you can play as. I would probably do a lot better if I like picked one or two of them, but I'm very bad at doing that. And so for a little while, what I was doing is um, first I went through every single character online and played as them. And then there's a there's a system called GSP, which is like global smash power. It's supposed to be it's the number of people you are better than. Okay. I happened to you you start off basically in the middle uh halfway mm-hmm. between so the GS- my GSP starting was like 1.6 million which meant there must have been like 3 to 4 million total players and so i played every single character online and most of them went down uh to like 900,000 or so and but there were a couple of ones where i won and at first i was playing like with any rule set so you could be up to four players or you could have items or whatever um and I was more likely to, like, get a high place in, like, the four-player ones because those are usually more casual people. But they weren't as fun because they felt, like, way too random. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, after I did all those, I switched to 1v1, no items, and went through and I took, okay, here's my highest ranked player. I'm going to play as that one. And I lose. Okay, let's take Mm -hmm. my next highest ranked player. I'll play as that one. I lose. And every single time, I have a new highest ranked player because I keep losing and having their rank go down. (laughs) And so I went through like 10 of them losing each time. And eventually I went, okay, I'm actually okay at using Link slash Young Link. Let's just go and I'm going to play as this one. Uh, I'm going to play as Young Link until I have a win. And I played like 20 games and my global smash power went from like 1.6 million down to about 10 to 12,000. <laughs> mm. And um until I finally ran into someone that would play it as Ken and wait, Ken? Yeah, Ken from uh, Street Fighter. S- Street Fighter Ken. Yes, there's wow. a Ken and Ryu in Smash Brothers Ultimate. <sighs> They have, oh my God. they have the, they have the shurikens and they have the dragon punch and everything. So they have them, but no Waluigi. Wow. The funny thing is, if you so the way that Smash works is if you press a direction and the B button, you do different special attacks. And so mm-hmm. if you do a if you do a neutral spe, neutral B, which is not pressing any direction, you get the fireball. If you press forward uh, B, I believe you do the dragon punch and back or and. Uh, I think it is it down or back. Anyway, yeah, I think it's down B, it gets you the, the spinning kick. What was the formal name of that? Um, uh the hurricane kick. Yeah, the hurricane kick. This the down I think it's down gets you the hurricane kick. I can't that's but the but the interesting thing there is if you do the fireball with the traditional motion, you get one point two times the damage. Oh, so you can actually still do the uh, original motion. Yeah. Okay. And if you do the original motion for like the hurricane kick, you get 1.2 times the damage and it travels farther.
0: Oh, okay. Because, I mean, when you were saying that, that, oh, it's different button configuration, I imagine I would hate playing it that way because that just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah.
1: And, but okay. And I believe it's the same thing for the dragon punch as well. If you do the real motion, you get additional damage. Kind of thing
0: yeah i mean i would uh i remember uh when i used to play um when i used to play street fighter 2 turbo mm-hmm. that uh one of the things i would do within the bonus mode is make sure to try and destroy the car with all dragon punches <laughs> just for the pur- for the purpose of practicing the motion yeah. so i kind of have that down now yeah.
1: there's all sorts of other crazy motions in smash though um which i guess i'll get to in a second um mm-hmm. anyway so i got down to about ten thousand gsp before i ran into a Ken player that i was clearly better than and so I beat him twice and he started when I started off playing him his GSP was like 5,000 and after I beat him a couple of times I got his GSP down to one so theoretically oh he was the very worst player (laughs) in the entire game and then he beat me (laughs) and the next round so I lost to the very worst possible player in smash (laughs) brothers Well, I'm hoping at least the matching is going to be better. Yeah, I know that, like, he probably wasn't actually the worst. Multiple people can be ranked one. It's sort of like a. It's supposed to be like an elo that's flipped, inverted. That was depressing. And I'm trying to figure out, like, so are all of the people who are actually worse than me, they just play like two rounds, get demolished, and give up? Or. Am I actually bad at this, or is my Wi-Fi with the switch horrible? Because I, I know I get interference in my room with the Wi-Fi with sometimes, and the switch's Wi-Fi isn't very good to begin with. I did, I did end up uh, ordering a USB uh, to Ethernet for adapter for the switch that should be arriving <laughs> shortly, and I will see if that improves things. And the other thing is. um, People said that if you're having trouble with lag, um, to try and adjust the MTU is it MTU value? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to try and get optimized packet sizes. And so I did that, to, and I tried to figure out like what my my network's optimal size was, and it ended up being like fifteen hundred. So I changed it on the switch from fourteen hundred to fifteen hundred, and that seemed to actually help a little bit. But it could just be that I'm horrible. I'm still better than my son. For now. For now. For, i yeah. I win most games against him he's nine so I have to think that I'm not actually the most horrible player in the world because he's had a good amount of practice as well and he can all he complete like classic mode with and end up with an intensity that's it's like horrible but I mean it's not great but
0: you know what I should do is I should try and make a point
1: of going online and losing every single game yeah someone actually did that. They got a someone made a video about how they went online and got a GSP of one for every single character. (laughs) They said it took them seventy hours. Oh, and the funny thing is, like, you also have a roster GSP, and the roster Mm -hmm. GSP is supposed to be like your overall roster's uh, total ranking. Um, the Mm -hmm. funny thing is like, he noticed like, even though he was losing every single match, uh, as he went and did the characters, his roster GSP actually went up. How does that work? So my theory is that, uh, the worst possible thing for your roster, uh, is to have never played a character. And so as Hmm. soon as you have any sort of ranking whatsoever, you're ranked higher than anyone who's played online but has not played with that, with that many characters. So if for, in my example, in, in my case, my roster GSP is like 3 million, which is like pretty – 3.2 million, which is pretty high. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because I've played with every character and most people have not even unlocked every character, let alone played with them online. But a lot of people have played online. What I need to do is
0: just play with one character and lose every single match, and not play with any other character.
1: Yep then hmm. then you can pro- then you might be able to get your roster GSP down to one. The question is, which character? Which character do you play as? Oh, or would that not matter? It, it shouldn't matter. I th- hmm. you, if you use the character that has the most number of people playing them, you can be comparatively worse, I would guess.
0: Okay. Because if it were the same character, oh, because because there's a GSP per character, right? So uh, is the Duck Hunt dog still in Smash Brothers and this Smash Brothers? Yes. Okay, because last time the last Smash
1: Brothers I bought, I remember getting the the, dog. The the big thing about the Smash Brothers, it has every single character from every Smash Brothers that has existed. Mm. In in addition to like maybe two or three new characters. So that's its okay. big thing.
0: Okay. So uh, I remember the last time I got a Smash Brothers game, I would play as the dog, or I would put the dog on and then just beat up on the dog. Okay. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's getting revenge from oh, being a kid. from it laughing
1: at you all the time.
0: Yes, from it laughing at me all the time. <laughs> so that would be the character I would play as. I would be the duck hunt dog, and I would make sure to lose every single match.
1: There you go. Yeah, so those are my, that's my Smash Brothers woes. Other games I've done like, I've gotten, I've done fairly well in, like um, games that nobody ever plays. Space Giraffe. <laughs> you still play Space no, Giraffe? I don't play it re- I haven't played it recently, but um, back when I did play it, I was ranked like in the top. I, I think I was actually at one point ranked in the top 100. I mean, granted, there's not, not a lot of people who play that game. Um, but it was at least 50,000 or so. I I
0: remember in Geometry Wars 3 that there was a level I was ranked like number 7. Nice.
1: I, I'm probably better at those kinds of games proportionally than I am at fighting games, though. Smash Brothers, that, uh, I'm reminded of the adage that you
0: would uh, say for Dead or Alive 4, that with Dead or Alive 4, you're okay with it, then you get worse, yeah. and then you get better. Yeah, is Smash
1: Brothers kind of the same way? I think it is, but not quite to the extent of uh, DOA. With DOA, you're very unpredictable when you mash, and so it's extremely difficult to counter. So you have to have at least some amount of skill in order to counter that. It's fairly straightforward to punish people who mash in Smash Brothers, but when you're trying to figure out like the correct responses to moves, you can get a little bit worse. But it's it's not nearly as 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 much of a down then up slope is dead or alive. Is I uh, I actually did get to play uh, just
0: Shapes and Beats multiplayer. Oh, nice!
1: Spoiler ahead.
0: Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I just uh, I rec I realized that I was a lot more benevolent than
1: I thought I would be. Oh, really? You didn't? Well, it's difficult to be malicious in Shapes and Beats. So, you mean other than just letting them fly off screen?
0: Letting them fly off screen. I felt. I felt an actual obligation that if my friend died while he was next to me, that I would actually go ahead and try and save him. Since uh, if he's still alive, then he can try and save me. Mm -hmm. But if he's on the other side of the screen, um, then no, I'm not going to do that.
1: Well, what you do is you have the stronger player play more on the left side and the weaker player play more on the right side. So when they go and drift toward you, you can get them.
0: Oh, that's smart. I mean, although uh, that's assuming that the level is going in that particular direction.
1: It's it's only for the symmetric portions.
0: Well, I mean, like, for instance, uh, I noticed that uh, within multiplayer, you know, you're playing three levels and the last level is a boss fight. Mm-hmm. That uh, sometimes, it's, say, for instance, it's uh, if it's the end boss, there's a period where you're going up. You know, right. you're pretty much dashing up and up and up and up. And there's no way to uh there's absolutely no way to get the player Mm -hmm. within uh within a decent amount of time if they end up dying at that section right definitely oh god and that that uh that was kind of infuriating it's like okay i play uh you know i play with my uh friend john Mm -hmm. and i don't think he's even beat the single player portion yet okay it's like okay what boss are you playing oh annihilate last boss really really game (sighs) (laughs)
1: So he's yeah. getting spoiled then.
0: So, yeah, first off, he's getting spoiled. Second of all, you know, he's uh, he's playing the hardest boss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it's like, okay, which boss are you fighting? I was expecting that it would at least be somewhat linear. Did you, did you play
1: locally or online with him?
0: I actually played online with him. Oh, you should have invited me. I feel so sad you didn't invite me. It was more along the lines of... Uh, <laughs> Just the fact that I was in the process of changing the network. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, my friend John's on. Okay. It was actually, it was kind of funny.